Welcome to Canusa Street, a podcast at the intersection of the issues and policies between Canada and the United States. Here are your hosts, Scotty Greenwood and Chris Sands. Welcome back to Canusa Street. I'm Scotty Greenwood here with Chris Sands, and we are really excited. Well, Maybe not too excited, actually, given the current state of affairs, but we're uh, here to talk about the Canada-U.S. border, actually. And as we're recording this episode, it is still not open. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, we've got one of the key leaders in what I would say is the grassroots movement to reopen the border. That's Devin Weber. She started something called Let Us Reunite. Chris, can you do a a quick introduction of our esteemed guest, Devin? Well, absolutely, Scotty. I'm really excited about this topic as well, because uh, in all of the history of the Canada-U.S. border, we've never seen it this restricted for this long. Uh, as we sit here, we're, we're approaching 16 months. We could be a year and a half before we reopen. And um, that's a really grim reality for a relationship that we used to call the world's longest undefended border. And now it's become a real barrier, hold, dividing companies and families, too. Devin Weber um, was the founder of Let Us Reunite, as you said. It's a volunteer led campaign that has been lobbying the U.S. government for travel exemptions to allow families to reunify the land border between the U.S. and Canada. Uh, Devon's a New Yorker, currently living in Montreal with her French-Canadian husband uh, and their one-year-old son. Congratulations. Uh, is he still one-year-old, Devon? He's actually going to be two-year-old uh, next, next month, so that's how long we've been having this fight. Oh, gosh. So obviously she's got very personal uh, reasons to reconnect. And uh, I don't know if this is still true, Devin, but uh, I read that your son hasn't seen his American family since March of 2020. So just last month, um, I decided that it was enough. And I drove by myself nine hours uh, from Montreal to New York City because my husband isn't allowed to cross the land border. And at that point, he wasn't vaccinated. And the thought of him getting on an airplane and flying from Montreal, New York, just was crazy to us. So we chose to drive alone, drove alone. Oh, that's amazing. Now, I know also, Devin, just to give you a bit of background, you're not just an activist and mom. You also uh, served as deputy political director um, at 32BJ SEIU. I think that's your SEIU is the Service Employees International Union and uh, 32BJ must have been your your organizing unit or your bargaining unit. 32BJ was the is the local. Yeah. Um, so she's been done campaigns the at the city, state and federal level. And now you've gone international. Welcome, Devin. Well, uh, Scotty and Chris, uh, thank you for having me. Uh, it's unfortunate that we have to have this conversation in these trying times, but I'm happy to to talk about it a little bit. So let us reunite. Like Chris said, we're a a volunteer run organization. We have um, about 3000 members at this point. Um, So like Chris said, I'm an American living in Canada. I can cross the border at any time I want. My son is a dual citizen, but my husband can't. And so when the border closed last March, I obviously watched every month that roll over and roll over. Um, And in June of last year, the Canadian government created exemptions at our border that allowed immediate families. um, So spouses, parents, children to cross the border to to visit folks despite the COVID restrictions. Um, And then October, uh, they added to those uh, exemptions and allowed for extended family, which allowed long-term partners, um, you know, grandchildren, things like that. So they, they understood, the Canadian government understood, despite COVID, that families were important and there needed to be a way for families to reunite. Um, and the U.S. government, 
just continued to roll the border closure over every every 30 days. And so once I saw the Canadian government was making these exemptions on a lark, I started a Facebook group to see if there were other families that were sort of in the same position that I was, you know, anxious to, to be able to see our families. Uh, overnight, we had 800 members join the group, which is sort wow. of a, a, a grassroots dream come true. Yeah. Um, and now over the past, uh, it's uh, over 10 months now, we've got about 3000 families that are just, you know, in our private Facebook group alone. To what do you attribute the discrepancy? I mean, why is the U.S. government not taking steps, at least for families, the way Canada has? What do you, what do you think that's about? That's a really good question that I, I I don't have honest an answer to because there has been no transparency from from the U.S. government aside from rolling the border closure over every thirty days. Uh, to me, it feels a little bit like bureaucratic paralysis, um, which is something that the U.S. government is very well known for. Unfortunately, um, I think. One of the other factors that is probably playing in is that when the land borders between Canada and the U.S. and Mexico and the U.S., because there's the same uh, pr- policy at both borders, was closed for reasons that no one has ever been able to explain, the air border between the U.S. Uh, into the U.S. from those countries was never closed. So people are still able to see their families if they have the money to fly. Um, and if they feel comfortable flying in a global pandemic. Um, but if you live in Sault Ste. Marie in Ontario and Sault Ste. Marie, you know, Michigan, that's a 15 minute car ride. And to to see your family, you would have to drive to Toronto to take a flight probably to Detroit and then get a connecting flight, you know, to Sault Ste. Marie, which is just insane and probably will cost you a thousand dollars and take 14 hours instead of a 20 minute car ride. And so I think that because there's been that loophole, if you want to call it, there just hasn't been the same urgency. Canada fully closed their borders when they closed their land border and the air border fully closed down in March of last year. And Devin, do you think there's an end in sight? I mean, how hopeful are you or not? Uh, and who are the biggest champions who kind of agree with you at this point? You, you know, Canada is reopening and the U.S. isn't. I mean, there has to be an end in sight. Like you said, Canada is reopening. And so that has to be put some kind of pressure on the U.S. to eventually reopen. And to Chris's point earlier, this is, you know, the longest undefended border in the world. This is two countries that historically have had such a friendly relationship. And even after 9-11, the border wasn't closed for this long. So obviously there is an end in sight. I think the issue is we don't have there's no light at the end of the tunnel, to use a very cliche phrase. Like, we don't know when it's coming and we don't know what the metrics are that they're looking at to reopen the border. So that just, I think, adds an extra layer of worry and hurt and confusion to all the families that are separated. And my other question was just about the champions on the U.S. side. I, I know Congressman Higgins is one. Congresswoman Susan Delbeni is another because we talk to them regularly. And uh, but maybe you could... Uh, talk about him or the others that you've worked with? Yeah, I mean, Congressman Brian Higgins has been amazing. He has been a champion for the border closure and for families that are separated from it from day one. And he has been pushing even before our organization came into being um, for some sort of exemption to the land border because his district, you know, is right up against the border there in the Buffalo Niagara region. Obviously, so many families that are impacted. 
he's been the most, the loudest and the most outspoken voice, but there definitely have been other, other folks that have been raising their voice. We see uh, Congresswoman Del Benny in Washington has become very outspoken in the past few months. Um, what's happening in, in Point Roberts, Washington is just absolutely heartbreaking for those families that are just sort of stuck there in a no man's land for the past 16 months. Um, Congresswoman Lawrence in Detroit, Congresswoman Tlaib in, in, in the Detroit area has been really, really great. Um, Senator Schumer um, just last month has done a press conference and has been very vocal that especially now that Canada is opening, that the administration needs to find a way to reciprocate these. So there has, there has been a lot of voices in Congress. I think, unfortunately, the general public, the United States, doesn't give much thought to this issue. And frankly, I would guess the majority of them do not know that the border between the U.S. and Canada is closed. Well, Chris is originally from Detroit, and you probably still have family there, right, Chris? I think your people know about it because they are right in Detroit. And uh, I think Devin is on to something, though, because this is not something that if you live far away from the border, you're necessarily aware of, unless you do have family, or in our case, at the Canadian American Business Council, businesses that are losing a lot of economic opportunity at a time when we really need to be safely rebounding our economy. And I, I think that's ironic. You're exactly right, Scotty. What's ironic for me is that even though sometimes you can uh, talk about supply chains and trade and it's a bit abstract, the business community's uh, voice on this has been more articulate. But I think people miss the family connection. And, and Devin, I want to I ask you um, something that the Northern Border Caucus and on Capitol Hill has been pretty consistently calling for is a plan. Even, even if it's a plan that says it's going to be six months or these are the metrics. And I think for people who aren't dealing with the border, they know that their state, sometimes their, their municipality has phases and restrictions go up and down, but there's a sense of predictability because they know what the triggers are or what the data that will change the conditions are. Grumble, 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 but at least we're moving somewhere. Why do you think the governments have been unable to offer even even just a basic, it's just this 30-day rollover with almost no comment, no indication of whether that's going to continue indefinitely or at some point ease? Why do you think they've resisted or had so much trouble putting out a plan? You know, if I could answer that question, I think I would be doing a better job on, on pushing the right levers to open the border. Um, you know, I think there was a lot of hope back in January when the new administration took over. Um, an executive order was signed uh, in January 25th of this year, um, a very sort of broad sweeping executive order with all, all sort of mandates about COVID. But in that executive order was um, uh, a demand that the departments of Homeland Security, state transportation work with the CDC and there may be one uh, health and human services um, to create a plan to uh, institute health measures at the land border that would help it reopen. And in the executive order, it said they had two weeks to, to put that plan together. And, and we all know that Washington doesn't quite work that way. And, and two weeks is not two weeks, but it's been six months now. And the fact that in six months, they couldn't have put together a plan or have any comment besides we're following the science when they aren't following the science is very frustrating. I want to. That's also interesting. You know, I think when when the border was closed, 
Um, back in March of 2020, it was the Trump administration. We had a certain cast of characters, and now we've been into the Biden administration as well. That hasn't changed much, or do you detect that there has been maybe a, a shift? Certainly there was the executive order or a desire to have a plan, but but it hasn't changed much on the ground, has it? No, I mean, I would say there's been a shift in the last four weeks, but that is primarily because Canada has made a plan and is opening their border, and that is bringing media attention to it. And, and, and folks are realizing, oh, hey, Canada is opening their borders. Why is the U.S. not doing the same? So, something else I was going to ask you, just to sort of, and you have a lot of members of your coalition, so you might you might be able to draw on some of that membership to tell, just for our listeners, why not having a plan is so important. I, I think about, uh, you know, you, you might miss a, a wedding or have to postpone that. You can't really postpone funerals if that happens in your family. But what's what are the sort of consequences of not knowing whether in 30 days or or a year you're going to be able to cross the border? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of reasons. So I think a lot about um, these binational families that we have that have, for whatever personal reasons, be it for education, uh, be it for their work, have maintained houses on both sides of the border. So you see that in Windsor and Detroit, for instance. Um, but they were able to cross daily, sometimes multiple times a day to be with their family. Um, some of these these families have young children, young children that are growing up primarily with either their mother or their father because crossing the border is no longer as easy as it was. And you can't get back those years. If you have a two-year-old, I have a two-year-old. If he were kept from his father for six months, he'd be a totally different person <laughs> the next time he saw his father. And those are, you can't get those back. And to, and to live your life with that, like, unknowability of when that's going to change, that puts, you know, besides the financial pressure that it puts on you, the, the mental strain when we're already in a global pandemic that is likely the hardest time in all of our lives, it just sort of, it, it snowballs. And, and it, it can put some people in some really dark places, unfortunately. And do you feel sometimes that you're being punished? I mean, it, the government isn't asking you to get vaccinated or send certain proof. If they were giving you a means to cross and you just had to do something, it'd be on you. But in a way, you're dealing with this condition. The government isn't asking you to do anything to be safe. They're just telling you you can't cross the border. I think for me, I understand that COVID is a very real and very dangerous disease and that we need to have measures in place um, at, at the federal level to, to protect people. And that is totally understandable. I think when people start to feel punished and frustrated is the fact that the air border is open to any Canadian to fly in for any reason they want to with just a negative COVID test. That's great. That seems safe. There's protocols there. Why is it safe for for my neighbor to fly to Florida next week for a bachelorette party with a negative COVID test, for, but, but not for my husband to cross the border in our private car with a negative COVID test. I think that sort of hypocrisy and that, I mean, that's not how science works, is, is when people start to get really frustrated and do feel, you know, that this is punitive from the government. You know, if I could just jump in here, I think that if we had a U.S. Customs and Border Control official on with us right now, uh, which we may well do that in a f future podcast, Chris, but they would say that the air environment is different than the land environment. And the reason for that is if you're flying, uh, CBP gets advanced notification uh, and of who's coming. And it's actually the private sector that's come up with an answer on how to test uh validate tests and validate vaccines. Um, so that comes through the airlines. And 
Uh, this is the obvious answer, I guess, is if you can do that in the air environment, let's let's replicate it efficiently at the land border. But it is different. So I agree with you, Devin. It's frustrated that there it's frustrating. There's a difference. The U.S. government has an answer, but it's not exactly quite good enough, right? And uh, because the answer is, to your point earlier, the executive order says, hey, come up with a plan. Several organizations that Chris and I are involved with are also urging Homeland Security to come up with a plan. And, you know, Customs and Border Patrol are operational and they do know how to manage risk. So if the policymakers in D.C. say, figure out how to do this safely and without delay, I have confidence that our officials would do just that. I agree 100 percent. There there are ways to do it. And for whatever reason, they've chosen not to do it so far. And I I think it's frustrating because people start to lose faith in the government. They start to lose trust in the government when they see this this uneven policy that they see as as being there for, you know, the rich, the elite, the elite who can afford to fly versus those of us who can only drive our car across the border. It, it, this is just an observation and maybe it's too many political science classes on my part. But I I, I, I I, think about what you've done, Devin, and I think about the challenge of of democracy. You know, when we first were talking, you were frustrated that nobody was seeming to listen to a citizen with a concern. And obviously, Congressman Higgins has stepped forward. There are some others. But looked at one way, I wonder, where's Congress been? Why haven't more uh, Democratic leaders tried to represent the people that are in your group? And I get a little bit down. We're not seeing Parliament having these hearings either in Canada. But the upside of this is is you. I mean, you you didn't wait to be, uh, you know, called for testimony. You stepped forward and got organized. And so that gives me some hope that democracy can work, but uh, it has to work for everybody. Uh, When you look at how the system is working, what would you tell the government about the importance of getting some feedback from citizens or, or at least finding a way to let them be heard, let alone reunite? That is a, that is a very hard question. (laughs) Um, I mean, I think, this is very granular and this might be a little a little too nerdy even for your listeners but constituent services are so important in congressional offices i have worked with congressional office for a long time and the offices that have the happiest folks in their district are the ones that 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 spend the time talking to their constituents if you have somebody call your office 17 times in 2 months because they are desperate for their children's stepmother to be able to drive on the border from Windsor to Detroit because their kids are having panic attacks who they haven't seen their stepmother return the call. I think a little bit goes a long way. And I think that's something that is lost sometimes on Congress is that you might not have the answer right now. And we understand that this isn't an easy issue. This isn't something that is going to be fixed legislatively in all honesty. Um, But Congress has a platform and they have the ability to to try to let people know that they're working on that. So that is one thing I would say is that even if you don't have the answer, ignoring it isn't going to make the problem go away. Well, and accepting an unacceptable situation doesn't work either. And I'm so proud of you for standing up. Uh, Scotty, over to you. Well, I was really struck and we'll wrap up here in a couple of minutes, but I was really struck, Devin, when you talk about that drive from Montreal to New York City, because I've done that drive before, too, and I've done it with little kids and I've done the reverse of that same drive. It's hard to do it by yourself. I mean, there's only so many 
lollipops and french fries uh, that you can use to keep your kids, uh, you know, entertained or iPads, you know, sort of during the during the trip. So it's really great to have your spouse with you if you can, or your co-pilot helping you manage it. And it just highlights in a very real way the challenge uh, that we have. So anyway, I for one am grateful that you, Devin, are getting people organized, you're using your expertise uh, to rally the troops, if you will. I think it's making a difference. Hopefully, by the time people are listening to this, we'll have to record another episode to talk about how the border just reopened and it's working smoothly. Yeah, I'm grateful to both of you for for giving me this platform to to tell the story of my members. Um, and I and I'm I'm happy that we're all able to work together. Um, we all obviously have different interests in the border closure and, and our own vested interest in getting it open again. But I think it's organizing 101, right? You find who is working on the same thing with you. You come together and you try to find a solution. So I appreciate it. Well, this has been an interesting and kind of heartbreaking discussion about where we are with the Canada-U.S. border. I am so grateful to our guest, Devin Weber from Let Us Reunite for joining us. And I look forward to our next podcast with Congressman Brian Higgins. Really looking forward to a full reopening of the border when it can be done safely. Hey, everyone needs to get vaccinated. Everyone needs to take care of themselves, their families, their communities. And we also need to get to a place where we can go back and forth across our common border, as we've been doing forever and ever, and really get this relationship going again. So what a great discussion. Really enjoyed it. And over to you, Chris. Well, thanks, Scotty. Um, from my end, I, I'm I'm pleased as well, because you can sit in Washington, D.C. and follow Canada-U.S. relations at that high level, and it's often, uh, it's often forgotten or overlooked that the bedrock of the relationship is the friendship between the Canadian-American public. And the friendships, the family ties, that's where the relationship really lives and breathes. And uh, it's the job of the politicians and, and the officials to get that right. They're stewards of the relationship, not the creators of it. And we can never forget that. Devin was a powerful reminder that this is a people-to-people relationship. And I, I really admire her for fighting for that. So now we have, we'll go from that to, uh, in our next episode, hearing from Congressman Higgins. I think it'll be interesting to see his perspective as somebody who's been a fighter as well, but from more the Washington, uh, the Washington perspective. So very excited to have this topic on our, on our podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Canadian American Business Council and the Wilson Center. If you like this episode, help others find our show and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify.